What is up? What is up? All right. So we're all like on our own journey, right? Like we're on our own personal life experience. And along that way comes great moments of transformation and love and happiness and joy and sometimes traumatic experiences. You know, my wife this summer where we celebrated her 10th anniversary of survivorship. And I know firsthand what it's like to go through crisis. And there's all different types of crisis, but the human brain, how it processes and stores crisis and does it ever get back to life and joy? Well, in this episode, I want to talk with you about the path forward and what's happening in the latest research and discoveries of how humans that go through crisis can break through on the other end and then rediscover their joy and get back to the joy of living. And all of that's coming up when Dr. Beth Dupree joins me after these words. This podcast is brought to you by the Wirebuzz team. Now, if that name sounds familiar, it's because I've spent the past decade growing Wirebuzz into a digital marketing powerhouse designed to maximize clarity in complex sales processes so we can help accelerate revenue. And we do this in three phases. Phase one, we transform your website to function like your best salesperson, and then also incorporate persuasive on-demand sales videos. Now your entire team is aligned on messaging and they're injecting massive clarity into your prospect's head. So your site looks great, but it also has engaging content that helps your team sell on-demand 24-7. The next phase, phase two, we train your sales and marketing teams to sell remotely or in person to expand the impact of your sales team. And the third phase is we develop and run targeted ads to your prospects. Scale those ads to help you achieve more business results. Sign up for the Wirebuzz Company newsletter to learn more about effective and simple ways to improve your company messaging, attract more digital attention, and ultimately make more sales. You know, along the way in life, we find people that are, um, that are, freedom fighters that help people, that guide them to their freedom in their next path. And yes, I'm already getting emotional and I haven't even gotten started yet. I met somebody along the way that changed my life. Her name is Dr. Beth Dupree. She is an incredible breast surgeon. I'm on the board of the American Society of Breast Surgeons Foundation. She's one of the top breast surgeons in El Mundo. She's an integrative medicine physician. So think of where East meets West. She's also certified in psychedelic assistance therapies and research. Dr. Beth Dupree, thanks for joining me once again on the Toddcast. I love being on the Toddcast. This is like one of my favorite <laughs> things because you and I, we don't get to catch up enough. And so, right. you know, every, getting an invitation to be on the Toddcast means you get to find all the crazy stuff I've been up to since we were together last. Uh-huh. And for the interest of full disclosure, um, Dr. Dupree is a dear friend of mine. Our homes are an hour and a half from each other. I'm, she lives in Sedona, Arizona, which is literally the greatest place in the entire world. And it's gorgeous. Go to Google, type in Sedona, Arizona, and then click on images and go down the rabbit hole and start planning your next trip. So Dr. Dupree's house is an hour and a half north and we drop out and visit each other and She's a frequent guest here and I'm a frequent guest there, but we haven't gotten caught up since Dr. Dupree, 
I know you were on the first episode, rightfully so, and you crushed the first episode of this podcast, but the last time we saw each other was probably when you had to be speaking in Phoenix and you stayed the night and then there Sedona got snowed in and you turned it into two nights and we sat up late and we drank great wine and told stories. Is that the last time we saw each other? It was. That was, I left your house that morning to go back east. It was my dad passed away. So it was March. Remember I was down there for a meeting and it snowed and I wasn't going to drive north. And then I woke up that next morning and found out that my dad had um, really bad pain and I knew he was going to transition. So I took my little carry on that I had and drove to the airport and went back to Pennsylvania to spend an amazing weekend with my dad. And I got to tell you a funny story um, because my dad was a jokester. You would have loved him. Um, can I tell you now? Please. I love okay, stories, so, especially um, yours. My dad, my dad had, uh, he was 94. He had been living with metastatic prostate cancer. Um, and over the course of about six months, he had lost a fair amount of weight. So we knew he was um, dwindling, as we call it. Mm-hmm. And um, we had instituted hospice so that we could make sure that he would stay comfortable. But he hadn't been having any pain. And um, the morning at your house, I woke up and my sister Mary said, dad called at five in the morning. He was having a lot of pain and that we now needed to bring um, more significant hospice, like potentially morphine or medication. So mm-hmm. I, um, I, I, I flew to Pennsylvania, went to York and actually took care of my dad, which was a great honor for me to be able to spend the night um, with him because he lived independently up until that point. And mm-hmm. what I realized that night was that he could not be alone. He, he was getting up in the middle of the night because his prostate cancer made his bladder fill up and then he'd have to get up to go to the bathroom. And at 94 with a walker having, you know, weighing like all of 118 pounds. And this is a strapping guy that used to weigh 200 pounds, you know, five foot eight. And he wasn't quite that tall when he passed, but, um, he, it was a really tough night. And I knew that night that we need to move him to, um, independent, uh, to assisted living. And so everything kind of came together, like the the universe conspired. And um, the problem was he needed a Foley catheter. And they said, well, we can't put one in down there. He'd have to go to the hospital, have to do whatever. Well, this is where you say there's divine intervention because my dad had had a a tube in his gallbladder earlier, um, like a year earlier. And my sister, Ann, God love her, saved the, she saved the catheter, like she saved a brand new catheter. So I had a sterile Foley catheter insertion set, a Foley catheter. And I said, um, well, if dad has a catheter, can he go? Like, I didn't want to take him to the hospital to do this. So anyway, right. we had all the stuff there. And I said, dad, listen, I, you know, I can put this catheter in, but like, like I'm your baby daughter. And, you know, he's like, it's okay. Right. So I had my sisters stay out in the hallway who couldn't handle it. My sister, Anne was in there with me. And so I'm putting a Foley catheter in my dad's penis. And, you know, I'm clean. I'd get, we'd give him a little bit of Ativan. I'm cleaning it off and I'm going to put the catheter's penis. And he looks up and he says, you're not going to Lorena Bob at me. Are you No. 94 years old, still sharp. And, um, he transitioned yeah. two days later, but he was then, he didn't have to get up to go to the bathroom. He was able to be not laying in a diaper. Um, and you know, dying with dignity and transitioning, um, Amen. you know, I, as sad as it is to say goodbye to someone that you love, knowing that you're making that journey better for them, and that's part of the work that I'm going to be doing when, as I'm back on the East Coast because I'm going to be bringing some psychedelic therapy into 
palliative care and hospice care. And I wish that I had had it at that point for my dad, but it was so um, apparent to me how needed this transition yeah. time is for families. So um, it was a great gift to be with him before he transitioned. And yes, it's been way too long since we've been together because <laughs> that was back in March. Yeah, that's far too long, especially for dear friends. And um, so thank you for sharing that part of the story. And I think it gives everybody an indicator of the uh, freedom fighter that you are for people. And you always have been. And in my home, you've been a freedom fighter for my wife and I. And I know a lot of people are struggling with trauma from events. What are we discovering now about psychedelics and psilocybin and even ketamine and how they're used to help people with traumatic experiences return to their life of joy. Like there's an enormous amount of research going on now more uh, than ever, right? There's a ton of research. And, you know, this is, this is part of my humility saying, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I have had some amazing patients become my greatest teachers. And um, Alison Gruber is a blogger. She's hysterical. You would love her. Allison now lives back in Chicago, but I, I took care of her when she was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer here in Arizona. And she has been such a gift because what she taught me that I never knew about her, and she taught me this through the, the courses that we give to the young breast surgeons to train them about being better um, healers and better practitioners. Mm -hmm. Allison came and spoke to this group two years ago, and it wasn't her breast cancer trauma that started everything off. It was a traumatic medical experience when she was 12 years old and had surgery on her leg and how she was treated and, or mistreated. And um, that experience, that adverse childhood event, that event from her childhood created the um, narrative in her brain, what we call the default mode network about how she was going to process situations in the future. And um, luckily, um, my sister Sue, who lives in Australia, she's a, she does trauma work. And um, Allison was able to work with my sister to reframe those traumatic experiences, basically change the, um, you know, change that movie scene in her head. Yeah. And that trauma work is the same concept as how psychedelic therapy works because we all have traumas in our life. And um, what I learned during my training in psychedelic therapy is when we were um, watching this, the beautiful stories that had been so wonderfully shared with us by the Midhoffers as they were in training, as they were um, doing their clinical studies with MDMA. MDMA is also known as Molly or um, ecstasy, but MDMA is an amazing molecule that um, is poised to get FDA clearance for um, PTSD because the clinical trials through the MAPS organization have been so strong. But what I recognized and what I learned in that training is we all believe that the trauma from being in the military and what happened during war is the biggest factor for most of these veterans. But it's actually the childhood traumas that they held on to that potentially brought them to a place where they went into war, where they were putting themselves in a position where they'd be in harm's way 
because of feelings that they may have had from their childhood. And I know that for some people, they may think that that is psychobabble, but it is absolutely not psychobabble. When we look at adverse childhood events, and these can be um, physical abuse, sexual abuse, um, just verbal abuse or neglect, or um, there are a whole host of, of things that there's a score that you can give. It's called an ACEs score. And for someone to take that test and have an ACEs score higher than four, they have a 200% increased incidence of cancer. They have close to a 2,000% incidence of depression, a much higher incidence of suicidality. And so when we look at how um, we function as a society. Can I pump um, the brakes real quick? I just want to, I want to re-ask something go ahead. that I think you just said. Are you telling me that people that have and by the way, this is why I love Dr. Dupree and why I need to spend more time with her. Are you telling me that people that have childhood traumatic experiences have higher incidences of uh, medical issues like depression or cancer or, uh, wow, that's fascinating. Okay, cool. 100% yes. And, and that's, and Todd, that's the thing, like I've been a cancer surgeon for 30 plus years, but up until now, I have not asked my patients those questions for the ACEs, the ACEs scores. It's one of the things that being back in clinical medicine now, like I'm going to bring, I, I actually am in the middle of writing a, um, an article for MedPage because people, doctors are not made aware as cancer doctors about the connection between the adverse childhood events. This is where when we live in silos of cancer care and mental health, like this right. mental wellness piece has to become a prime directive, a, a, a part of all that we do in everything in healthcare. And it, I, I have to thank Allison. Allison was my great gift because watching, learning her story of her adverse childhood events and how it, you know, she's now living, you know, with um, her cancer, although it's stage four, is it's kind of quiescent. She's kind of just chilling along with it. And she's living her best life because not only was she getting care for her cancer, but now we have given her the opportunity to heal those traumas that were driving her default mode network or her daily program. And, and so, a, so, oh, go ahead. so it's interesting because I know you'll get this because as we look at how psychedelic therapies can help us access those traumas to reframe them and then integrate this into your life, um, this is where um, Ernesto Ladono, who's a, um, he's a writer for the New York Times, he, he came to a breathwork workshop I was at and he asked me, so do you think that if we can heal those events in someone's early, like early 20s, are we going to see the level of disease in the 30s and 40s? And I told him that I believe that, to me, this is the future of um, prevention of disease. Because if we don't address these early um, events that are driving how we think, how our bodies hold onto that energetic um, trauma, you know, the body keeps score. Our bodies hold on to those energetic traumas and being able to heal them is absolutely essential, which is why psychedelics, I believe, need to come into cancer care. Okay, I love it. So proactive, you're even seeing a path where proactive 
psychedelic therapy becomes the future of disease prevention. That's that's my Beth Dupree's personal. Um, it, it's something yes. that I that I believe, um, and we need to prove it scientifically. This isn't about people going and dropping acid or taking mushrooms at a party. This right. is about the appropriate set and setting using psychedelic therapy with the appropriate guardrails where someone has the correct intake, the appropriate session to be set to, to someone sitting with them, and then the appropriate integration. So I'm talking about using the scientific method to bring psychedelic therapies into the forefront of not just um, helping our patients who are going through cancer, but potentially eventually looking at how can we prevent disease? And I mean, I think it's it's going to be somebody else is going to be doing that down the line because you know I'm 62, so I got I you know I know I got a you know expiration date at some point. But in the meantime, what I want to look at is early stage breast cancer patients, single dose psilocybin, following those patients for 10 years, looking at quality of life, looking at other um, medical issues, looking at the risk of recurrence, and studying that group of patients so that we can show Western medicine. It doesn't mean we don't. It doesn't mean we stop giving chemo, surgery, and radiation. It means that we will look at finding some root causes for yeah. why we get this disease. And in this hypothesis, or I think I heard you say single dose psilocybin which would just mean one treatment and evaluate them over a long period of time to see if it helped with their disease prevention. And did I hear that accurately? Yes, sir. Wow. So that would have to mean, cause I can't think of anything else that would be single dose of anything that potentially could have this kind of impact and transformation on somebody's long-term risk. Like that's well, jaw dropping. When you look at these studies that have been done on the stage three and four breast cancer patients or cancer patients out of um, Johns Hopkins, they followed those patients for nine months, 12 months. And the drop in depression, the drop in anxiety, those levels. And it's because in an entheogenic experience and an entheogen means that you're you're giving someone something that they're able to access a um, a realm of collective consciousness where it shifts it shifts what happens in your brain and I you know I think I've told you I, I haven't talked to you since I went to um, Mexico but I I've done um, legal journeys because obviously as a physician I am I am bound by my um, my license and morals and ethics and everything. And um, I went to a retreat center outside of uh, um, Toluca, Mexico. Um, unbelievable experience for me. It was, um, I had done ayahuasca before as part of my training. And um, it's not something like people are, are like, well, don't people get addicted to these things? There's no way I'm getting addicted to ayahuasca. I mean, it was an amazing transformative experience, um, particularly this last time. But I'm not called to go do it again. It's not like I would raise my hand and say, hey, let me go to Mexico and do ayahuasca. Do I want to go to Mexico to facilitate journeys for veterans and cancer survivors? Absolutely. Because I know how transformative it is. And I, I had a really powerful experience where I literally was in the abdomen of 
this creature. I felt like oh. it was a creature and there was, there were no organs. So I'm seeing the ribs and I'm in this rib cage and I'm in there and I'm looking out and I, I'm watching everything happen around me. And one of the shaman was there and they're absolutely amazing. Um, and these are, these are like PhD psychologists that are also trained in plant medicine. So it was an unbelievably transformative experience. And, um, Prior time when I had done ayahuasca, I had purged not a lot, but a fair amount. Um, but the first night I didn't purge at all, but I was, I stayed in the medicine like for hours and it was just like a lot of integration was happening there. I was, I was being the gift of seeing how this medicine works. That second night, um, it was, we had taken medicine like eight o'clock at night. Now it's four in the morning. And, uh, my beautiful husband was there, had an amazing experience as well. And, we had left the Maloka, the place where we did the ceremony, gone to the kitchen and Joe was hungry because we hadn't eaten pretty much that day. And I was still feeling in the medicine. And we got back to our room, brushed my teeth, laid down in bed. And all of a sudden I was catapulted out of my bed into the bathroom. And it was, it was like Linda Blair was there for those of you who haven't watched oh. The Exorcist. It was like, it wasn't even a purge. It was, it was bad. And it was one, one evacuation of, of, I literally expelled myself out of that belly of the beast. But what I yes. saw is the beast has been the dogma of Western medicine that has not allowed us to see the power of other modalities for healing, like plant right. medicine and breath work and, and electroceuticals and things that are not created in a pharmacologic environment and it it was really freeing it was like i was like whoa and like it was kind of like okay now that doesn't mean that i give up what i know from western medicine because i know that surgery chemo and radiation therapy are the mainstays to treating the physical body with breast cancer that is what i do and i'm still a damn good surgeon but it means that when I, when I look at someone with cancer now, I look at really how am I going to help that person's physical body because I can help physically remove cancer. I can cut it out. We can give the right chemo. We can give the right anti-estrogen. We can give the right radiation therapy. But the root problem may still be there. Bingo. And so that's where, that's where um, I, you, know, you walk between the worlds because I see the benefit of the work that I'm doing and that I've learned to do through uh, my psychedelic training to be bringing our care to a higher to another notch it does it's like and this is this is where people talk about this is not alternative medicine this is a complement to what we already know can treat the physical body but we know that people's cancers recur against our greatest dismay that we can't cure everybody and so imagine now having the ability to look at how can breath work, how can um, electroceutical stimulation of the vagus nerve, how can um, psilocybin, MDMA, ayahuasca, how can these all come together? And I, I look at this as tools in my toolbox. I got a big toolbox now. And in my toolbox, I have all my Western medical tools and I've been really good at that. I'm very, I, I can, you know, mm -hmm. I can't, I'm not gonna say I can do surgery in my sleep, but I certainly know how to operate. Take that and now combine it with my knowledge of these adverse childhood events or, or the, as I call it, the baggage people come into cancer with. 
Right. And right. their baggage, like, I mean, I'm sure you remember when Wendy got diagnosed, suddenly everything changes because you have this existential crisis of, I thought we had X number of years together, or I thought we could right. decide to have kids at 40 if we wanted to, or I thought we could have, and it's all those things. And so and that's what happens for every single person. So that baggage is what I believe we have been remiss in helping our patients to um, reconcile with or change that narrative. Mm -hmm. And that's the focus of my next chapter of my career. Beautiful. I love everything about this and can envision a day where we not only cut out the cancer, but we also help free and liberate somebody from the destructive pattern thinking and the trauma that may be contributing to it. This Bingo. is an incredible new chapter in the fight against cancer that has been overlooked and feels like it is an entire new universe that's ready to be explored from a Western mindset out and Eastern mindset in. And you're like one of the very few people. And um, I happen to know a lot. We have a lot of the same friends that are open to the Eastern modalities. But what I really see out of you, and I hope people get to take away is, you know, there are a lot of people, you mentioned your age, so um, forgive me, but you mentioned you're 62. And I know you're quite comfortable with that and you brought it up. And there are a lot of people, as you're listening to Dr. Dupree, who are like comfortable in their work and in their passion. And Dr. Dupree is obviously hungry in her work and in her passion. And that hunger puts her in constant and never ending improvement and is doing so. Instead of slowing down, she's speeding up into a whole new chapter that's yet to be explored. And she's living with incredible passion. Did I, did I define what's going on in you and yeah. how you use that to stay at the top of your game? So Todd, you, you were with me during my most difficult chapter of Western medicine, you know, where right. working in a health system where I wasn't heard, where there were opportunities to improve the quality and safety for our patients. And, um, it was, a, it was a system that didn't honor who I was, where I, I was asking for transparency, I was asking for help for the people who needed it, and you know, I was called to be here. I was called to be in Arizona. That was a calling, and I right. know now that I did make a difference in that system. I did make a difference for so many women, but I also know that it was part of my journey that it had to be me. And had I not broken, had I not gotten to the point where I had reached burnout, I felt inadequate to be able to change a process within Western medical healthcare. But what it mm -hmm. did was it gave me a gift because I'm like the, you know, anti-drug conservative chick from the East Coast who whose father was a cop who said, you know, there will be no drugs, no alcohol, no anything. So I, I was kind of like the goody two-shoes. You know, I wasn't... I was, you know, most of my friends my age, a lot of people that I realize now, they all did psychedelics for fun, like when we were growing up. And I'm like, absolutely not. Like I had a drug testing kit 
in my house for my kids. So my, I know my kids never did anything like they wouldn't, they wouldn't even go so far as to smoke a joint because they knew how I was. And it's interesting because some of my friends on the East coast are like, how does this happen to you? And I said, well, it had to be me because if I was somebody who was a hippy dippy, um, you know, smoking joints and, and doing LSD or whatever, like if that was my history, I wouldn't be able to come into this as with the credibility as the doctor who never, I mean, I, when I started my psychedelic training, it was interesting because I was, I was, I interviewed with Bill, um, Bill Richards, who did the research out of Johns Hopkins. And I said, Bill, I don't know if you want me in this class because I'm a psychedelic virgin. Like I've, I've not taken any of these entheogens. Like I've, I'm here because I believe in the science and I know that what I'm doing in Western medicine is not addressing the needs of my patients who come back to me two years later and they are still broken. And so this is where I think that I, it, it had to be me because I, I now talk to a lot of people who say that an experience they had 40 years ago with a psychedelic, maybe one time changed how they, their worldview. And I'm thinking, hmm. yeah. so right now, like, you know, I, I joke about this all the time, but I said, I'd love to go to Washington lock the doors of Congress, give them each like two and a half grams of, uh, of psilocybin. And then everybody in that room would understand the collective consciousness of the world. And they would stop bickering about the stupid things that they don't agree on and find the common ground and move forward as, you know, I, I, we live in this beautiful, amazing country. And I just feel like so many people are divided and they need to know that we are collectively together on this journey. Yeah. I, I love everything you just said. And I got the sense that you are interested in healing, not only the local problem and where it, where it has um, made itself known physically, but you're interested in the path of healing for the whole person. Yeah. And because what you're really interested in is not solving the, just the short-term problem, but what is the long-term and right. what does that person's, you know, overall health look like? And it's so fascinating. I'm so inspired by this, but you've actually, when you, when you got your, um, your work that you did with integrative medicine, and if I um, remember correctly, I think you did that at the university of Arizona with the, uh, Dr. Andrew Weil is that the center for integrative medicine. Is that where you did that I didn't, work? I didn't do my program with him. I did his programs, but because I was early on, I got grandfathered in by passing my exams because I was, I'm old. Okay. So I, I did my, I did my two different levels of integrative medicine. And, uh, there, there was a point in time where you could, um, it's kind of like where breast imagers now do a breast, um, imaging fellowship. There are breast imagers yeah. who just kind of morphed into that. Like I didn't do a breast surgical uh -huh. oncology fellowship because I was older but I trained yep. breast, surg breast surgical fellows. So uh, that's, that's where I got in. That's where I got my, my but, integrative medicine certification. But you, you know, my, my work with like Jay Harness, like Jay sure. back in, back in, you know, 2004, I think when I did my first talk at the American society of breast surgeons um, about integrative medicine and people thought, God, she's out on a limb when I'm talking about nutrition and exercise and everything else. Now our dear friend is becoming 
He is yes. on the top of the mountaintop screaming about exercise oncology and the importance yeah. of how we how our bodies can help us fight cancer. So we're shifting. I mean, we're shifting collectively, and I think it's just a really fun time to be in healthcare. You know, because I see it's the, the things we can do. It's the most fun time. It's the most fun time. If and this is really a lesson for anybody that's listening. If you row your boat gently down the stream, eventually you're going to get into a slumber and you're going to follow the path of everybody else. But if you are a friggin' trailblazer like Dr. Dupree, a friggin' trailblazer that seeds need and opportunity and remains hungry and is willing to explore where the path takes you and then takes the data and evaluates the data you can discover breakthroughs and transformations that can impact the rest of us. Dr. Dupree, crystal ball for me, reach into your crystal ball. What is the timeline like for a potential uh, psychedelic healing for um, what ails us as a additive or a complement to what's going on in Western medicine? Like, are we going to see something like this in our lifetime? Absolutely. The, um, the, the first, the first that's going to happen, first of all, right, what we have right now is ketamine therapy is legal, um, for refractory depression in the United States. And ketamine is a dissociative. It's not a psychedelic. It's a dissociative agent that we use for anesthesia and it can, um, be incredibly effective for cancer patients because for three reasons, number one, um, when a patient becomes depressed after cancer, it's not depression as we know it in the general world. It is an existential crisis with knowing that, my God, I, I have an expiration. We all have an expiration date, but when someone tells back, you, come bingo. Back. Right. So right. Um, we know that SSRIs and standard antidepressants do not work in that population any better than um, placebo. So that is a group that I believe right now benefits from ketamine therapy, which is cancer patients with depression. And it's something that can be really effective. And it's one of the things we're going to be instituting um, on the East Coast. Second thing is we know that ketamine um, pings the NMDA receptor so we can drop the level of someone's narcotic use during their transition when they're in hospice or palliative care. So if you can drop the narcotic use and um, increase the ketamine, the ketamine keeps them awake and alert with their loved ones. Imagine like, imagine being able to talk to someone as they're transitioning instead of having them so snowed on morphine that they can't be there, right? Amazing, right? And then Abs the, third thi the third thing for me is when, when someone is facing that transition to be able to have an experience where they, they get to um, feel the connection to universal consciousness um, it's a big gift to know that you're not going to a deep, dark hole, that there's actually this other world, this, this realm, which, um, you know, I, loving. I it's, it's, it's loving, caring, warm, and that our souls are yeah. eternal. I believe with every fiber of my being that our souls are eternal. Um, I had an experience recently. I don't know if you remember this, the end of August, um, we had a really bad storm in Phoenix. It's called a haboob. It's when these yes. winds come in and they're crazy and, so I'm sitting in the airplane coming back from Philly and we're coming into Phoenix on final. And out of the window, I see this thing 
and it comes toward us and literally picked up our airplane and tossed Ooh. us. And so much so that, I mean, people were puking and crazy and jumping around. Uh, we had to divert and fly into Tucson. And the captain came back and he said, listen, I mean, you could tell, like, everybody was rattled. Like, this was, yeah. it was bad. It was so bad that over half the people on the plane got off in Tucson. They're like, screw it, I'll rent a car and drive to Phoenix. Yeah, um, right. We, but I will tell you what happened to me when that happened. I saw that come as the thing lifted. The, the big dude next to me was like, he was, you know, we were in first class. Yeah. He had a couple cocktails, but he was like this. <laughs> he never got back on the plane. He never came back on the plane. But I sat there with this piece, this sense of calm going, well, if this is it and this is this is how it ends, it's okay because I feel like I've 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 lived my life with truth. I'm gonna cry now. Like I've lived my life doing doing what I needed to do, doing what I feel I've been called yeah. to do. And because of that, I just had this tremendous sense of peace, like, hey, if this is it. People are going to say, hey, she was a good chick. She did a lot of good for the world. That was good. It was really good. You're amazing. And I'm honored to call you a dear friend. And for those that wonder, this is the kind of late night conversation around a bottle of wine you can expect at Todd and Wendy's house throughout oh, yeah. the year with dear friends like Dr. Dupree. She is Dr. Beth Dupree. She is a breast surgeon, one of the top breast surgeons in the world. She's um, an integrative medicine physician and certified in psychedelic assisted therapies and research. And the work that she's doing right now is work that's going to impact us in our health and our healing journey and for loved ones. Dr. Dupree, where can people go to stay and follow your journey and learn more as you're discovering these breakthroughs along the way? Um. Well, you can follow me on um, on social media. My addresses are at Dr. Beth Dupree, which is pretty easy. My website is uh, drbethdupree.com. And one of the things I'm really incredibly proud of is my foundation, the Healing Consciousness Foundation, which is hcf444.org. And we're going to be doing some work starting in the new year with um, – one of the technologies I'm bringing to the market, which is a transcutaneous vagus technology for to, to help calm people. It stimulates the mm -hmm. vagus nerve. So it, it's very good at bringing people out of fight or flight and into rest and digest. It's a wellness product. Um, that's going to be wow. happening on, in, in Pennsylvania um, through Redeemer Health, where I work part-time, and I'll be there a lot this winter. Um, we're going to be beginning our ketamine program through hospice, palliative care, and oncology, which I'm very excited about. Um, I'm working with um, uh, one of my partners, Clay Keller, through Gateway Sciences. Uh, we have a ketamine clinic in, El in Santa Monica, California. Um, and I'm also working to bring a non-narcotic pain patch through the FDA. Um, and that work is continuing. It's, uh, it's a slug, but you know what? I, I feel like God brought these things into my path. And all I can do is my best job to bring technologies and um, modalities into the world that I believe can be transformational. And in, uh, I'm also going to work with a group called Heroic Hearts, um, helping veterans and particularly a group of veterans whose wives have had breast cancer. We're going to help and I'll be traveling around the globe wow. to help with, uh, with that kind of work. So it's all good. It's, and I'm coming to Todd and Wendy's for wine. Yes. And I'm not going to mention the winery because I can't, I, I don't know if, can you say that on a podcast? 
I think so. What is it? The oh, the, you can the say winery. it on mine. Oh, okay. Yeah, you could say it on mine. I, I love <laughs> my know, the, Cold Caldwell, so right? The, the, yeah, the <laughs> wine she's referencing is this is a great story. And for those of you that stayed through the full podcast, now you get an additional treat. The um the the wine is called John Caldwell. John Caldwell is an incredible winemaker in Napa. You won't see it in a restaurant, you'll never see it in a store and it's all private list. And we just happened to have a blast with John Caldwell, who has, I believe, the only winery in Napa where all of the grapevines are originally from Bordeaux. And he smuggled them in across the border in the early 80s and didn't tell anybody the story about bringing in Bordeaux wine to Napa and until the statutes of limitation ran out. And why was Dr. Dupree kind of dropping an F-bomb there? Because John Caldwell has a potty mouth and on a lot of his merchandise, the wine is called, or his name is written as John effing Caldwell and, or John fucking Caldwell. And Dr. Dupree loves that our preferred wine glasses are Caldwell glasses. And we always make sure to give her the one that says John fucking Caldwell, or the wine is Caldwell wine from Napa fucking Valley. And we get a big kick out of it and we laugh and it's a good time. It's a great, it's a great time. And uh, if anybody wants to, they can uh, <laughs> go on to the HCF 444 website. We have a, an event coming up in Pennsylvania. Um, our humor for healing is coming up November 17th and we have wonderful things on our silent auction or you can bid online for them. Um, and there's another winery, Todd, that you need to know about called Anderson Con Valley. Um, Todd and sure. uh, his beautiful wife, Sarah, donated wines, amazing wines, which that's the next one you're going to get from me. Um, I'm bringing down some okay. midlife crisis. Um, midlife crisis was a limited release. It's delicious. But uh, the Anderson Con Valley donated wines for our um, for our dinner that my kids are going to be cooking uh, next weekend in Pennsylvania. So very excited about beautiful. that. Please tell your kids I say hello and send my love. Um, for anybody that's wondering about transformation, it requires transformational results require somebody to have transformational thinking. And that's out of the box thinking and wanting to apply different strategies into a already established area and look at it from a different perspective. And the reason not only is she an incredible human being doing things for all of us, but it is transformational thinking that'll help you in your industry and in your business get to the next level so you can serve and help people heal at a deeper place. And nobody teaches that better in my life than Dr. Beth Dupree. Dr. Dupree, thank you so much for joining me again on the Toddcast. We need a date. We do. I'll make sure to reach out to you. And for those that need more of Dr. Dupree, and Lord knows we all do, please go back to episode number one of this Todd Hartley show and sit back and listen to another incredible interview and conversation with Dr. Dupree. Until next time, everybody, more incredible people making our lives better right here on the Toddcast. Talk to you soon. Yo, that was a powerful episode. And from what we just learned, it should be obvious how you can now implement these lessons in your life to get to the next level. Now, before you bounce, I just have three quick thoughts. First, Thank you for taking me on your incredible life journey. Second, if you receive some value from me and you want to pay it forward, 
It would mean the world to me if you left an honest rating and review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. I'd be incredibly grateful. And lastly, if you share this episode, whether it be a screenshot or a photo from where you're listening, anything via Instagram stories or LinkedIn, Facebook, or any of the social media sites, just tag me and the guest. I'll repost your content and I'll reply back in the comments because I love mixing it up. In fact, I'd love to share your shout outs in my feed too. Not only are these shout outs really good for you and for me, but they also help us book more amazing guests because they'll be able to see the reach that you're helping to cultivate. This is a way for you to help contribute to the show. So thank you again for listening. And I look forward to earning a regular spot inside that ear of yours. Let's grow.